You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast brought to you by Starburst Magazine and for the next 60 minutes we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. Hello, I'm Lee. Hello, I'm Mark. I'm Simon. And just once again, we'd like to apologise for last week's episode, which was a shambles. <laughs> <laughs> it was all right, wasn't it? <clears throat> now, it was a bit random. It, it was, was random. Oh, dear. Yeah. And you got me on the subject with Swayward, and you made me swear. I'm sorry. Awful. Is it all my fault? I promised myself I would not do that when we started this podcast, and you made me do it, you guys. I will not forgive <laughs> oh, you for that. It's, it's all of us, not just me. That's okay. I'm feeling better now. <clears throat> So how's this, your how's your range of t-shirts going, Jr? Would you would you like to explain about the t-shirt, Lee? <laughs> well, we're hoping to do some t-shirts for the uh, Blue Box podcast. Hoping to do some t-shirts. Yeah, and I thought, well, maybe you know, we'll have the three of us on. That, that's Simon, Mark, and myself, and then uh, you could have your own range because uh, you know, not you're just, sure that's going to be a big seller. It's quite iconic. It's Jr. Is this all part and parcel of us becoming more self-aware again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and right. moving swiftly yes. self-awareness let's move on yes okay a month ago we did an episode where we looked at the historical stories in doctor who right yes and we said at the time that we were going to look at well the three different kinds of stories you usually get in doctor who well four actually historicals contemporary earth alien planets and the future of planet earth mm-hmm. and this week we're going to look at the stories set in Earth's future to see, well, what the programme makers had to say, had to predict about Earth's future mm-hmm. through the programme. Which, obviously, some dates have come to pass. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And the other thing is, when we did the historicals, there was very much an evolution of the way the programme looked at history. Mm. And, we were, and well, what we did with that programme, we kind of tried to plot the evolution to show how you got from things like Marco Polo and the Aztecs to things like the Unquiet Dead and Let's Kill Hitler. <clears throat> but this week, with the future Earth stories, there's not so much an evolution as just different patterns that come with different production crews. Mm. So, I mean, I thought we'd just have a bit more of a laid-back chat this week about mm, okay. we've just got a list of stories in front of us and we'll just try and find patterns. Patterns? Ooh. Yeah, that's what I thought. Just not specifically aim to start in one place and end up somewhere else but just look for patterns well one thing that i think we should immediately sort of address is well the ark the ark in space and the beast below uh, what's the connection no they're all ark stories yeah they're all people leaving earth for one mm-hmm. reason or another mm-hmm. and of course sontaran experiment and the end of the world both kind of also fit in with that especially the sontaran experiment because it's I think the one that works out of all of those is the Ark in Space for me. But what's happening? Let's say what's happening for people who might not necessarily know. There's a, a huge cosmic disaster to do with Earth and, and people Earth, get off of so Earth. So the flares. Earth becomes uninhabitable yeah. and the population leaves. Basically. In spaceships. Yeah. And so... To come back at some point. Well, that, Possibly. Well, yeah, here's the idea. In the Ark in Space, the idea is to come back. 
in the beast below is the idea not to find somewhere else? I can't remember what the idea is. I was too distracted by the fact that they thought it was London. Yeah. In that, that ship, which... Uh, okay. Yeah, Devon. I noticed Devon on the ship. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, for anybody yeah. who doesn't know, we're uh, introducing this podcast to you from Yorkshire. <laughs> <laughs> Just south of Exeter. Okay. Yeah, so what about... Well, here's the thing that distracted me in The Beast Below. Yeah. Stephen Moffat contrives to put Amy Pond in her nighty throughout the entire story. That's a great <laughs> idea. Great idea. Yeah. Yeah. As well, much as I don't like Amy Pond, the character, she's rather nice. And that's mm. it. You can stop now. <laughs> okay. Here, here's down. the thing. Bye. Very first one of these stories is The Ark, William Hartnell. And, it, I mean, if you don't know it, if you've not seen it, it's a little bit slow. It stars Anne Whittacombe, doesn't it? But there's a, there's a... Or Eric Sayward. There's a really nice... There's a, <laughs> let's get back on the subject of the Ark. There's a really nice idea, a really nice sort of science fiction I <laughs> These two guys' heads are about to pop. <laughs> I just talking to myself for a minute. Keep going, Joe. Lee's Go gone. on. Lee's gone. There's a, stop looking at each other. Simon, look that way. Lee, look that way. <laughs> I'm trying. Go on. Face the corner, put your hands on your head. <laughs> Unbelievable. There's a nice central idea at the heart of the first two episodes of the arc. There's a really nice twist halfway through the arc. Yeah. And then there's another nice idea that takes up the second half of the arc. And if you don't know, I don't really want to spoil it. But it's a proper, almost proper science fiction story, really, the arc. You might as well spoil it. I'm sure people have, who are no, listening know, don't they, I, no, about these I things? I don't. We've spoiled quite a lot of Doctor Who over the last thirteen odd episodes, or whatever it is we've been doing. Yeah, here's the thing: I don't like spoiling the stories that people might not have seen. You know. Uh, okay. Okay. At the yeah. arc, because if a story does have like some serious big twists, mm. and it's not a particularly popular story, and it comes from a period of the show that people who are sort of just getting into things might not yet have discovered, so it's a William Hartnell. It's a bit of a lesser William Hartnell, and it does have. At least one, if not maybe a couple, of major, major twists. And I love the twist in that. Yeah, the twist in it. that is fantastic. But let's not spoil it. No, it's not It's not the greatest no. well-executed story we've ever seen, but it's a good twist. And actually, with they do it within one uh, storyline, whereas The Ark in Space and Revenge of the Cybermen... Oh, similar of kind of thing. It's exactly the same thing, but with yeah. two uh, but different the, stories The altogether. thing I wanted to bring up mm. about The Ark is, yeah. and this is not a spoiler is that we do see the Earth destroyed. In the Ark, they're very definitely very definitely looking for somewhere else to live. Well, forgotten about that. <laughs> yeah, oh, there's a really nice special effect, actually, mm. especially for the time of, you know, the destruction of the Earth. So are we thinking that the other thing about future uh, stories, this is including what we're talking about with the Arcs, the timings, the year. I mean, do we know what the years are oh, for each well, of these Oh, well, here's the thing. Because they're going to overlap. Yeah, and... here's the thing. People try to write, and, you know, some people very successfully write, and some people think about this kind of stuff a lot, will come up with ways to make everything make sense. But the fact is, the number of script writers, script editors, producers, production crews who've worked on Doctor Who over the years... None of it really makes sense. Most of these stories, they just pull a date out of a hat, to be honest, don't they? Yes, they do. So you've got things so it like... it could be anything. Yeah, you've got things like 
I couldn't say off the top of my head, but you know, I can imagine that, say, Frontier in Space <clears throat> and the Ice Warriors and the Ark in Space probably all take place pretty much concurrently and all completely contradict each other. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, those aren't the best example, <laughs> but do you know what I mean? <laughs> can I can I say now before I forget? And I will forget. Yeah. Right. Um, that all of the old classic Doctor Who, I'm sure. Okay, when you, when they portrayed a future story, people in futuristic clothes. Right, so silver things mostly, okay, spandex or whatever it was they were wearing. Zoe seeds but, of death. Zoe's catsuit. Um, but Ooh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. Not, we're going to come back to yeah. seeds of death, yeah. and I, well, mm. I would see to death. One of the stories I quite like to talk to in a bit of talk about in a bit of depth. So right. we'll come back to that. But that's the perfect example of what you're saying. It is futuristic clothes futuristic that don't clothes. look futuristic, and they don't even look. I mean. But they look like they're wearing I, their wire fronts on the outside. I yeah, kind of like I say. like the effort <laughs> that's yeah. put into these things of yeah. guessing the future because it gives you, you know, the feeling it's the future. Russell T. Davis very deliberately went all over that. Yeah, yeah. He said when we do the future stories, we will just put people in t-shirts and jeans like they wear now because nothing dates something so much as trying to imagine what mm. something's going to be like. Yeah, disagree. So you disagree? <laughs> well, yeah. Would because... you rather? Yeah, but do you? honestly seriously think that doctor who would have been as successful in 2005 if they'd have all been wearing the same clothes as they were wearing in the seeds of death don't care i want them in in futuristic clothes honestly i do people when would we have went been laughing the, at the telly. we went to the future i mean uh take the example of the beast below um are the people walking around in just normal everyday clothes there and it's london yes, yes. circa now Yes. Why? Why? Just make an effort. Make it actually London Circa in the nineteen sixties. Yeah, even worse. But I mean, why do that? I mean, at least RTD, I suppose, explained these things sometimes when you had these anachronisms going on. But oh um, right, yeah. well, whatever. But uh, you know, if you're going to have people just in normal clothes, a la Bad Wolf and all of that kind of stuff, that that's going to date. I mean, I looked at that the <clears> other day, and that already has dated so wildly. Yeah, it was only seven years ago. It's going to date anyway. But at in least midnight, they don't look silly. In Midnight, okay, which is a future Earth story in a kind of way, the people in there, right, were just normal guys. I think Patrick Troughton's son, David Troughton, was wearing tweed in that or something. Yeah. Whereas in The Nightmare of Eden, okay, they were wearing these lovely puffer jackets with uh, dark glasses on, which looks futuristic. Yeah, but, but why on, would they be wearing them? But we don't know. They could be wearing them for a reason. It could be protective gear. That's, that's the holiday but of the future. But here's the point. In Bad Midnight's Wolf... Midnight's the same thing. In Bad Wolf, right, you're saying those characters in Bad Wolf should be wearing futuristic clothes. Give it a go. Yeah, but in Just the stories... Just not jeans and a T-shirt. But in the stories that were made 50 years ago that were trying to predict what we'd be wearing now... They're all wearing naffy nylon jumpsuits, right? But what are we <laughs> actually you... wearing? T-shirts and jeans. I've seen there's your a, wardrobe. A, wouldn't they be? There's a, a thin line. If you think uh, THX 1138. Okay, George Lucas film, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've kind of gone minimal with that. I know there's kind of a clinical atmosphere, but mm -hmm. it, it works, doesn't it? It works in that story because those people in that story would not be wearing regular clothes, right? Okay. But if you turned up to work at, say, for instance, your office... You would not all be wearing identikit jumpsuits, would you? I mean, I do. do you know? Do you work you, at a dentist? Do you? <laughs> Why are you shaking your head? I, I think but it's, the, the dentist it's true, would be it? wearing different things from the secretary, and the secretary would be wearing different things from the nurse. Right. Have you ever walked into a superstore? They're all wearing the same outfit, aren't they? That's a superstore. I'm talking about an office. 
Why are we talking about an office? <laughs> because, <laughs> in, because in stories like The Ice Warriors and The Seeds of Death, oh, okay. they're working in an office. They yeah. would not be wearing I think there's room for a bit costumes. of both. I quite like in the, uh, the Ark in Space. They've got those really cool sort of white outfits. And I think, Tunics. although it's... Yeah. But they're wearing the tunics because they've yeah. just woken up. Yeah, I, I'd like... You know, there's something about that. Maybe it's kind of the um, whole thing of reminiscing, looking back on stuff you'd seen as a kid. But, yeah, those outfits are quite cool. I like them. Yeah. They're probably also practical, and they're there for a reason, but we just mm. don't know it. RTD would be able to explain the reasons why, I know. If he had, if he did a future outfit for somebody, it was all bizarre. He could explain it. I mean, his, his, his stories were so outlandish anyway, he could have gotten away with it. But the fact is, he's put people in just jeans and a T-shirt. If it's jeans and a T-shirt with something slightly different about it, just give it a go. I don't know. I just, I just found that in the old classic Who, when you had a future story, futuristic story, as laughable as the outfits were... At least you felt, oh, we're in the we're in the future here. Whereas regional accents uh, in jeans and t-shirts fighting Daleks about sixty thousand years in the future, I was like, well, hang on a minute, that that just doesn't feel right. It feels anachronistic to me. Not nearly as anachronistic right. as those costumes that they put people in in the sixties look now. But at the time of, of screening, is what I'm trying to say. <clears throat> well, maybe I'm going to have to. Disagree. Anyway, let's, I think, let's, I think let's get on. away from this whole got, jumsuit nest of yeah, I think they I got think away with a lot more because if you look at a lot of the, particularly in the black and white era, um, the majority of these futuristic ones all happened away from Earth anyway. So a lot of the time it was it was kind well, of this is where mi- I was militaristic next, stuff. Mm-hmm. Also. Particularly in Troughton, there's a kind of base under siege. Yeah, everybody talks about the base thing. under siege yeah. in Troughton. And instead of let's, you know, instead of just saying. In Patrick Trown, they did lots of base under siege stories. Mm-hmm. Let's try and figure out why. Okay, you're all looking at me really blankly. <laughs> okay, we're talking about... Budget, maybe? Yes, that's exactly it. In Patrick Trown's era, Doctor Who was undergoing a period where its viewing figures were slackening off, its audiences were diminishing, and the respect it had in the organisation at the BBC was diminishing. And, I mean... Those stories are lovely, mm. and the actors who are in it, you know, play it straight yeah. at the same time as having a ball, and those stories are brilliant. But let's be honest, creatively, there's a lot less going on in the Patrick Trown. Mm. And then here's the thing. Just before Patrick Trown became the Doctor, Ian Stewart Black had written The War Machines. Yeah. Up until The War Machines... Doctor Who had never, Planet of Giants notwithstanding, taken place on contemporary Earth because the TARDIS, and this was part and parcel of the original concept of the series, couldn't decide where it was going to land, couldn't get Ian and Barbara back home. When they did get home, it was in the Daleks' time machine, right? The TARDIS could not land on contemporary Earth. Ian Stewart Black's brought in to write a story because new script editor, new producer likes him or whatever, wants to get him involved, has never seen Doctor Who and just writes a story set on contemporary Earth where the government know who Doctor Who is and, you know... The, and they call him Doctor Who. Yeah, the, the uh, <laughs> supercomputer in a post office tower knows what yeah. TARDIS stands for and all this mm. kind of stuff. I mean, he fundamentally misunderstands what Doctor Who's about. But because he writes this story that ends up on screen and becomes part of the Doctor Who mythos, he's actually not just misunderstood what Doctor Who's about, he has changed what Doctor Who's Mm. about. And all of a sudden, 
And the War Machines is set sort of in contemporary Earth, but probably slightly near future mm. Earth because it's predicting things like the internet. You've got a supercomputer creating robots and stuff. I don't know if it says specifically on screen that it's 1966, but you know what I'm saying. It's sort of like a, yeah. a, a sort of vaguely you, near future setting. If you look at the Inferno Club they go to, it's very kind of of its time, isn't it? Very so, nice. Yeah. Or it could have been a retro club in well, the, the 1990s, <clears throat> The War Machines, a few years down the line, the War Machines has given them the idea for UNIT. Mm. Story set on a just slightly in the future or just slightly alternative to what reality is timeline with alien invasions and all this. But but my point about the war machines is the war machines kind of gives rise to the tenth planet because what you've done with the war machines is said right. This is a program that for three years has resolutely stayed away from doing contemporary Earth. Oh, but what we can do is we can do contemporary Earth as long as it's just slightly at a remove from contemporary mm, Earth. Yeah. And then the 10th planet comes along with two removes. One, it's set just slightly in the future, 20 years, but 20 years is pretty much nothing really on the bigger mm. scale of things. No. And also the second remove, instead of setting it in the middle of swinging London, they set it at a polar station, Arctic station. Mm-hmm. So what you can do then is have a cast of pretty much contemporary characters in a in a, a series of small sets that yeah. you get away with not going outdoors too much. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you have your aliens come to them. And this is what Doctor Who gets in the habit of doing from this Very point Very much a template, forward. isn't it, for things like yeah. the Ice Warriors. The whole it of happens, Patrick Trout. It happens yeah. three times, I think, in the, in the new series. Well, Dalek is one, uh, Fear Her. Honestly, mm-hmm. you know, that's quite close. You said um, it in the very near future. And Hungry Earth. So. Yeah, so you can get away with having things that aren't quite, you know, what we might expect, but not so far away as that, you know, that they would be at such it's a kind remove of, that would It's kind of James Bond land, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Or, well, somebody coined a term years ago. They called it Avengers land. Right. Mm. And it, yeah. this is... Uh, you know, this is what people use in media studies or whatever. Avengers Land. It's at a remove from reality, but it's also very recognisably, you know, contemporary, mm. pretty much. And so, yes, you know, I was going to talk about stories like the Moon Base is obviously a remake of the Tenth Planet, mm. where and this time it's on the Moon instead of at the Arctic. But you know, the Cybermen come and they invade the isolated base. You've got a cast of characters in the base. A very small set of sets, a very small series of sets. Mm-hmm. And you can tell your story and you use claustrophobia and, you know, the invaders from the outside coming into an enclosed space mm-hmm. that you can't escape from yourselves. There's nowhere to run to, which, you know, ups the ante on the fear factor. And Is that the episode with Zoe saving the day? No, nah, the, the moon base on, is yeah. very is that early. Space? Yeah. That's Polly and Ben, isn't it? Generally. Yeah, the moon base is very early. Side okay. story. Are you thinking of the wheel, wheel in space, space wheel which in is space, Zoe's yeah. first story? Yeah. Okay. Right. Oh, again, same thing again. Yeah. Sort of obviously it's on a space station, so you know it's a bit further afield this time. Mm. Same idea. Mm. And I, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I see the root of all this as being in the war machines. I mean, not the specific root of this specific genre. But it kind of set a template. Mm. But yeah, it was the story that said, well, here's something you've not done that and, you can and now And completely do. embraced in the Pertwee era. So. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, then in the Pertwee era, because this has been going on for the last three years under Patrick Troughton, 
I mean, should we stop and talk about the Patrick Troughton stories for a bit? I said you'd yes, talk yeah. about seated mm. death. Mm. We'll yeah, get on to poetry yeah, in a minute. Yeah. What's the seated death all about? Oh, I mean, what do you want to talk about? Classic story. The whole thing is about uh, transmat, isn't it? You've got these um, terminals, this amazing new device they've come up with where you can kind of move... They don't use it for transporting food and all sorts of stuff. Oh, there's some. I really have problems with Seeds of Death, you know. <laughs> Much as I enjoy the regulars mm. and some of the guest actors, and there's some brilliant actors, the ones yeah. who end up up on the... Is it Moon again in Seeds of Death? I think it I is. Think it, yeah, I haven't watched it for a while, but I think it is. Yeah, I think it's the Moon again, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And some of the actors who end up up on the Moon, brilliant. And there's some great bits. Yeah. But fundamental flaw in the entire concept the transmat they're mm. doing everything by transmat are we supposed to believe that they really would have binned every other form of transport for this transmat well why not i mean it could be just a short period in that time's history but it's like saying it's like saying essentially as soon as trains arrived people got rid of cars or as soon as records came out you know uh, sorry as soon as cds came out we got rid of records no, 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 no. It's like saying as soon as trains arrived, we got rid of cars because a car can take you from anywhere you want to go to anywhere you want to go. But with a train, you can only go from a train station to a train station. I think trains were there first, weren't they? No, no, but this is the... Okay, yes, mm. you're splitting hairs here. No, I'm not. No, you're missing <laughs> I'm the making point. Po- I'm making a point. No, you're missing my point. Well, well, make another point because I understand what you're saying. My point being, with the Transmat, you can only go from one Transmat station to another Transmat station, yeah. so you wouldn't get rid of other forms of transport. Mm. And also, you know, you'd keep things as backup for in case of Transmat going wrong. You might. But this, this, but this period of Earth's history may not. That's what I'm saying. You could be stuck, stuck full of bureaucrats it's... who just would never get past it and say, no, health and safety, you can't go in a rocket, got to go in a Transmat. And that's when it all falls apart, of course. The machine stops. Well, okay, yes, and that's what they were trying to sell in the story. Mm-hmm. But as far as I'm concerned, that is a flaw. I do not believe that would have happened. I still think it's fun. Oh, it's fun, no doubt. But I just think the the, the core of the story. And I mean, uh, you know, if the story had been good enough, I would have forgiven their fundamental flaw because I think Doctor Who should just be fun. But I don't know. I think, do you know, Seeds of Death is the second of three Brian Hale stories that he wrote in the 60s that had his name on the credit that he didn't actually write. Did you know that? No, no, actually. Right, he wrote a script for The Celestial Toymaker that Jerry Davis completely rewrote, but because Jerry Davis was getting paid as the story editor and wasn't allowed to take the credit, Brian Hale's name's on the credit. Mm. Seeds of Death, Brian Hale's wrote two episodes and couldn't finish it, and Terence Dix wrote the rest. Ah. Uh, <laughs> Uncle Terry. Oh, I love Terry. There's just... Much as I like Tone Sticks, and I think his some of his novels are brilliant, but there's just his storytelling. It's just a little bland. Really? I think it's quite fun. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's not fun. I would say it's... it's I always say this. <laughs> Tone Sticks... Do you think he's a better scriptwriter than a writer? No, 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 no. I think he's a better writer than a scriptwriter. Okay. Well, I would, what I always say about Tone Sticks is... Terence Diggs is a little, little bit like Last of the Summer Wine in Space. It's got that sort of gentle, <laughs> granddad-pleasing sense of humour. God, I Do you hate know what that I'm so much. <laughs> I hated that series so much. But you know what oh, I'm saying? All the jokes the in Terence Diggs... The doctor in an old tub going down a hill. All the jokes in Terence Diggs' stories seem designed to make the 75-year-old in the corner of the room laugh a little <laughs> bit harder than anybody else. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think you're probably right. I'm going to have, to, you know, I'm have to concur with that. And Seeds of Death, to me, reeks of that. like the way you called him Bland there as well. Robin Ooh, Bland. Yeah, yeah, I know. Right. But it's, I, I like Terence Diggs. I think he's a lovely fella, even if he... Yeah, whatever. But, you know, <laughs> he, he just... He doesn't write the best stories, does he? It's ironic in a way that there he is writing Brian Hales, who's the best one of his three 1960s stories, is the one he did write himself, The Ice Warriors. Mm. And here he is being written, rewritten by Terence Dix. And then further on down the line, you've got Terence Dix writing a story for Philip Hinchcliffe and Robert Holmes rewrites it. It's kind of ironic. Terence Dix spent many years as a script editor rewriting people. And then later on, he gets rewritten mm. himself. And we've completely gone off the topic, haven't we? Yep. Yeah. We were talking about <laughs> Seed to Death and the Future of we Transmat. Went, we went for quite a while there and stuck on the topic. So that's <laughs> going to be a record the Ice Warriors. Yeah. An Ice Age in how many years in the future is it supposed to be? I mean, I know Ice Age has come know. around. How many, how many years was it supposed to be? Can you remember? I can't remember now. I don't know, but it's 20-something. Maybe 22, <sighs> close. 73 yeah, or something. Close. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, bring it on. <laughs> Well, what I'm saying is, well, there is some Doctor Who is supposed to be nominally science fiction, right? It's not really; it's fantasy, isn't it? It is. It's got to be, isn't it? We do an episode on this later on, but but the point I was trying to make by saying that is, there are some people who would come to Doctor Who, and David Whittaker, great writer, love his stories. He's absolutely one of them. Just don't understand science, and will try and put a scientific concept into their story. And Brian Hales does this with this Ice Age. You know, the Ice Ages are supposed to come around once every several thousand years. And he writes one a couple of hundred years in the future because he doesn't get that it's not supposed to happen until, you know, whatever year. Yeah, science fantasy is Doctor Who, I, I feel. Mm-hmm. I've never seen the yeah, science fiction myself. But then I don't have a problem with that because I do love the Ice Warriors. I do think it's a great story. It's flawed. And like I say, with the Seeds of Death, there's that what I consider the fundamental flaw at the centre, and I don't think Seeds of Death picks up the slack quite enough to make up for it, whereas I think the Ice Warriors does. And so I'm being a hypocrite. All of the Ice Warriors stories are set in some kind of future Earth history, aren't they? There are no contemporary <clears throat> ones as such. No, well, the weird so, thing is... Curse of Peladon, same deal. Yeah, we don't really need to talk about Peladon. We can talk about Peladon when we do poetry. Okay, but what about the... Because you mentioned the colonial uh, aspect. Well, I was going to come back to that. I was going to come... I was going to make another point about... Okay, yeah. And now you've made me completely forget it. Don't let me stop you. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to make a point about the Ice Warriors. You brought the Ice Warriors up, about the fact that we see all their stories in the future. Yeah. Mm. Right, but in the very first Ice Warriors story, those Ice Warriors become known as the Ice Warriors because they've been frozen in ice for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. And the idea that we're given in the Ice Warriors is that the Martian civilization that gave rise to the Ice Warriors has been and gone. Uh, You know, these Martians, they're extinct. Mm. And the only reason we've got this spaceship full of these now is because they've been frozen in ice for thousands of years. Mm. And then Seeds of Death comes along and 200 years in the future, however long it is, you've got... Ice warriors just wandering around invading places. <laughs> <laughs> and then because of Peladon, it's supposed to be like several hundred years in the future. And the Ice Warriors are part of this galactic federation. And Mars has, you know, an empire just like Earth does. Yeah. Mm. Doesn't make any sense. No, none at all. I mean, nice stories. <laughs> I'm not going to complain about any of these. Maybe they've defrosted by then. Well, the rest of Martian civilization. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, but that's the thing about when you become extinct. Mum's been to Iceland. Just... <laughs> 
<laughs> but what are, waters of Mars to get some Mars. Ooh. Ah, waters of Mars is set a little bit in the future, and he does throw in a little line about the ice warriors there as well that they left the planet at that point well, that's because of possibly something to do with really, them. isn't it? Again, yeah, I know, but it's well, it I mean, it's, okay. but it's within the series. Well, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it wasn't in the series. I just want to bring that point in. I hate retconning because if it's not in the series at the time, then you're not explaining to the audience that's watching that story contemporaneously. But it's one long story, Doctor Who, isn't it, from start to finish? So I count that. Retconning with fans is different to retconning within the series, isn't it? Yeah, no, I think so. I think that counts, whatever he says. Well, you can say it counts now, but for 30 years we didn't have that explanation. No, but we have now. <laughs> so we yeah, can count it, can't we? I'm just trying to think. You can count it we're just now. Trying to, I, was, I was just illustrating your point, basically, that all of their history is completely gobbledygook. It doesn't make any sense. And even then, you know, David Tennant's saying, not too far in our future, they've already left Mars. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So when did they exist? <laughs> well. And how? And why? Many, many moons ago. Somebody needs to write a story. JR? Oh, no, no, no. I, they're, uh, this is not a secret anymore. This has been outed now. There's going to be Ice Warriors next year. Well, I didn't know that. Uh, that's what I didn't I? tell you the other day when mm. I was sat at your kitchen uh, table. I said, well, oh, have you heard the rumour? You said, no, I don't want to know, and I didn't tell you. Mm. But it's not really He knows rumor. I don't like rumours, but he just tells me anyway. <laughs> well, He's a bloodthirsty. <laughs> well, two things. One, it's not I'm a rumour gonna... because Matt Smith said it. I'm not going to avoid it, am I? And two, yeah, you're going to find these things out before yeah. the episode. It's not going to be a surprise in the episode. Yes. Yeah, this is not this is not completely one hundred percent confirmed, but it's what do you pretty mean? much bang on there. Don't say are they going to have clampy hands? For me? Well, who knows? Don't hang the bag of sweets in front of me, then crush them with your hand. Have bender hands. <laughs> well, it's the BBC have not made an announcement. There will be ice warriors. You know, but uh, you don't you well, don't need that announcement to know. What are they going to do with them? That's so exciting. I'm going to whip myself. Well, presumably, seeing as they have been in a book recently and were depicted on the front cover of that book, and that book was published with the blessing of, you know, the Doctor Who office, they're not going to do that much with them. I think I've just wet myself. There we go. You'd hope not, anyway. Otherwise, well, I mean... Well, I drew one the other day for... Our, one of our podcasts for yeah. an illustration that you can find on our Facebook yeah. page. And ama- <laughs> it's amazing, Simon. Well done. Good, Thank good you. illustration. Thank you. But I was looking at the design and it, it, it's it's quite timeless, actually. I don't know what else you could do to it apart from add some armour or something. It's art. amazingly weird and clumsy. The whole the yeah. whole creature is odd. Yeah. And you just wonder how it gets around, what it does in its daytime job. You know, how does it make a cup of tea? Well, how much, how is, ar- how much is armour and how much is actually... Well, the yeah, turtle exactly. shell, Creature. is mm. that armour or is it a shell? Yeah. I hope it's armour. Well, when you've got ones with Viking helmets in. I hope we, we you know, if you push one over, can it get back up again? That's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> we may find out. I think people are expecting this to have been written by Mark Gators. Really? Yeah, that's what people are kind of suggesting. Okay. <clears throat> I'm just well, looking have we done, to it have we done an episode on returning monsters yet? Yes. Yeah, you missed month. it. It was before you. Sorry, oh, dear. That's okay. Yeah, that was, we're talking yeah. about it now. And we were talking. Well, we about... could do a could a could thing where we talk about how other monsters could return 
Or did you? Did you talk about that as well? Uh, did you, you get them, yeah. really I think we fan wangy and sort of get really into the <laughs> fiction of it? There goes I'm the going to oh, no, bleep that one. I think, I think, I think, think we did talk. That. I think we did talk about Ice Warriors in that episode. Actually, didn't we? To somebody, yeah, we did quite a bit. Yeah, I think so. We were excited about coming back, and they are coming back apparently. So come on, surely you're excited as I am. Are you not? Are you not wanted to scream? Yeah, but do you not remember when we recorded that we episode? Just I was the one <laughs> saying I didn't want the ice. Okay, I was like, oh, I'm not really that oh, bothered. Oh, you don't care. Do you? It was just me and Mark. Yeah. yeah. All right, we'll give each other a massive man hug in a minute and dance around, playing the fandango. I look forward to it. Feeding each other Cornish pasties just for laugh. Oh. Right, can we, what's next on the list then? Come on. Well, yes. Then Colonial. okay, we get to Pertwee. Yeah. Mm. And when we get to Pertwee, this <laughs> sort of near future Earth thing that they've been doing in the Patrick Troughton stories has kind of come full circle because the Doctor has now landed on a slightly near future, more or less contemporaneous Earth. And so they need somewhere else to go and something else to do with the, you know, future Earth stories, don't they? And so what do they do? What do they do? Oh, my God. They go... (laughs) They go right far into the future to when Earth is colonising other planets. Mm. And so the future Earth stories become off-world stories about colonisation and empire. You get, you get um, within the space of 12 months, you get either end of the spectrum. You get colony in space, which is showing people settling and trying to set up a colony. In quarries. And then you get the mutants <laughs> also in quarries, where <laughs> the empire is yeah. shrinking and Earth is pulling out of one of its colonised planets. Or the quarries. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and of course, the Peladon stories tie into that in a way because you have, you know, with Colony in Space, you're showing the colonization. With Mutants, you're showing them pulling out. And with the Peladon stories, you've got the thing where humans are being used in Monster of Peladon in order to help with the, um, the mining that's taking place there. Mm-hmm. So Earth is being brought in kind of in the same way as. You know, in the Middle East, they will use Western engineers. And then in the other story, Curse of Peladon, well, obviously it's based on the European Mm -hmm. Union idea. But what you've got there is Earth people not colonizing or, you know, withdrawing from, but being used as um, civil servants in space, essentially. Yeah, and you know, Doctor's very good at echoing what's going on around it at the time, and there was a lot of that kind of stuff going on, and strikes and all of that, and they all make a, you know, uh, they turn up in these these stories in some fashion. Well, that's what the Clone Wars did. It's interesting yeah. though that, that that was brought in because it, it goes through to something like Snake Dance as well. You get that colonialism. Well, slant. Earth's empire was just coming right to its very end during the seventies, wasn't it? When did Hong Kong? It was nineteen ninety in the end? But they must have been talking about it for a while before that. British Empire, you mean? Yeah. What did I say? Earth's. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting confused between the fact and the fiction. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you mean. Nineteen yeah. seventies was get, essentially. Can you get the reality stick out, please? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to beat me? Is that the really stick? pointy one? The reality stick. <laughs> wow. It's just a cricket bat. Right, yeah. But you did have also the frontier in space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which was, you know, again, same thing. You were talking about um, mm. boundaries. You're talking about, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Feudal boundaries in space. And it again, that ties in very much with the same thing. And of course, it's got the... No, I'm going to say the end. Just in case anybody hasn't seen frontier in space. 
Oh, of right. course, but if they buy it in the box set, yeah. it's written on the front. It's, it's fairly got Daleks obvious. In it. Yeah, <laughs> that was the story that was being broadcast when I was born. Oh, cool. Do you know? I've never thought about that. I'm going to go yeah. find out what you don't know your birth to. story. No, I don't. Do you, Simon? Because we were born a day apart. Well, since I've got, I your... did look at that once. Yeah. Well, we'll Sorry. find out. We'll yeah. find well, what's out. your day of birth? Yeah, let's give that out on the internet. Yeah, whispering. Yeah. Right. Also, what's your social? Oh, we've given out number our. Um... And... Yeah. Oh well, if I say what the birth story is, early okay, 19... I won't say this specific episode, but January nineteen seventy-one—that's close enough, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I that's think Terror of the Autons. Is it? Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. That is very cool. That's I very had such cool. a connection with that oh, story. Do you know what? Was. That's just too, that's randomly. Too cool I've picked this book up and opened it, and what page yeah. is it open on? Season eight. Season eight. That's weird. That is, in fact, there's Terror of the Autons yeah. just written at the bottom. He's getting, wow, he's that is spooky. Again. You are Mystic Meg. (laughs) And there you go. January 1971. Terror of the Autons. That's impressive that you know that. Oh, well. Before opening the book. Oh, yeah, but Doctor Who used to run January to June back in the Pertwee years. It's still impressive. Very easy to work it out. (laughs) That's very cool. And my birthday was The Mind Robber. Do you know what? Sweet. Do you know what was number one, though, when I was. When we were born. Oh, you're going to give it. You're going to narrow it down for mm. people. Oh, what was number one? Granddad by Clive Dunn. Oh, you're joking, oh mate. No. Was that number one? Oh, flipping it. Yeah. Clive Dunn, ancient story. That counteracts the cool factor. For <laughs> yeah. yeah. Puts a dampener on it. Anywho, yeah. But, yeah uh, a frontier in space. And now moving swiftly on. Well, we get to uh, Tom Baker. Yeah. Oh, mm. Tom. Yeah, Tom Baker. They really. I mean, we've got a big list in front of us because, you know, that's what we do of stories. Mm. And in Tom Baker, it looks when you look at the list like there's a fair few. Mm, not that many. No, less than Patrick Trown, obviously, because in Patrick Trown, mm. that became the big thing. Yeah. But actually, when you look at Tom Baker, that is seven stories potentially that you could regard as future Earth stories, either off world or on. Are there any links between these ones then that we're looking at? You know, Ark in Space well, and Time really, Experiment, because, Sun Makers. Well, there is because there is between those two because of, you know, yeah, yeah, that's but season I mean, a 12 general thing. kind of something. There's not because during Tom Baker, they didn't really do that. No, no. Uh, there are other stories in Tom Baker that you can sort of superficially count. Face of Evil, for instance, the Sever Team and the Tesh are supposed to be a Earth colony ship. Yeah. Mm. And I'm. I can't remember full circle, but was that supposed to have been an Earth colony ship that fell into Not East sure. Space or something? No. Oh, I don't think so. And then in... Well, here's the thing. <laughs> in Tom Baker, <clears throat> and then probably, therefore, full circle is a great example. <clears throat> in Tom Baker, they did the opposite of what Russell T. Davis does and the opposite of what Barry Letts was doing. In that, if you want to tell an off-world story, you tell it from a human viewpoint. In Tom Baker, they told alien planet stories from a human viewpoint, but the humans in question weren't humans. They weren't from Earth. So in Planet of Evil, you've got the Morestrans. Is that Planet of Evil? No, that's um, Terror of Evil. What are they called in Planet of Evil? Ooh, I can't remember. Nobody can remember, but you get my point. They're from an alien planet. Yeah. Underworld. Again, alien planet. There are very few stories mm. where they actually bother to say these people are from Earth. Yeah. They are, to all intents and purposes, humans. They are, to all intents and purposes, the same as us. Mm. Potentially a human colony many years into the future, 
but they just don't say as much. They don't define it that way. Mm. So you do have those kinds of stories, but it's just not tied in. That's what happens with Tom Baker. Season 12 was put together by Barry Letts. And so the season 12 stories, you know, bookended by Robot and Terror of the Zygons. Terror of the Zygons got pushed back to season 13, but that was supposed to be the bookend on season 12. Mm. And what you've got then is Robert Holmes and Philip Hinchcliffe pushing off, casting off, and leaving the Pertwee years well behind and saying, forget it, cut the ties with Earth. You've got occasional Pyramids of Mars and Android Invasion, Seeds of Doom, but increasingly, as Tom Baker years go on, less and less. Until you get to the key to time, there's one story set on Earth, and even half of that's on a spaceship. Yeah. You know, and season 17 is got a couple, or just the one, City of Death. Sharda would have been. Yeah. But you know what I mean? In, even before Pertwee, where he was like literally tied to Earth, mm. Hartnell, every second story was on Earth. Yeah. Troughton, every, two out of every three stories were on Earth. Mm-hmm. Tom Baker, one in every three or four. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's do you think it's uh, relatively easy to write a future Earth story that's convincing? Uh, you know, to do you know what I mean? Well, that's the point. So, there's satire at the heart of most of this, isn't yeah. there? Yeah, yeah. The Sunmaker certainly has satire that, running through. Well, it. all of them. Not yeah, if not satire per se, then um, analogy, social commentary. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's the point. In order to do a convincing future Earth story, you have to tie it into the concerns of the day, mm. which is, you know, exactly what Barry Letts and Terence Sticks were doing with all their future Earth stories. Yeah. Are there any Doctor Whos with future Earth stories that don't have that attached? They're just pure fantasy fun. Well, oh, fantasy fun. I mean, there are Frontios, for example. That's not really fun. In my... <laughs> no, is that's it? what I'm saying. Yeah. But does it reflect any of the concerns of the day? Not really. Possibly. It may may do. It may reflect something at the time. I I think giant slugs take over the earth or something. And then it becomes more <laughs> about Turlow by the end of it. And Actually, even by the start of it, it's is like... That, is that specified when that was set? Because it feels like um, the end of the universe, the one trillion years ahead. The, the utopia, utopia thing, It yeah. does feel like that that's the similar yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, no, I think... they're on the edge, that humans were on the edge of extinction. Russell T. Davies was doing Utopia, I do believe he said as part of his... You know, he used to, at the start of every story, he used to have like a production meeting where he'd give them a word or an image or something and said, right, I want, we want to do this episode, but in order that everybody's working from the same page, mm. I will give you a word or an image that you can focus your efforts on. And I do believe that when he did Utopia, he did say Frontios. Okay, well, that will echo the kind of the naffness of, of the future of mankind, uh, looking rather like something, you know, like Mad Max. Yeah, well. Put on. I, I thought as a... a an int- I like the episode. I like that that story. Frontiers or Utopia? No, Utopia. Sorry, but I didn't like the, the humans. Can. The future, the future can be all right, but it's just oh, I get a bit fed up with that post-apocalyptic, tattooed, rah business going on, mm. which seems to be in everything that's <clears> supposed to be futuristic. It's a bit naff, really. Well, and, and, and we're talking one trillion years or something, aren't we? Mm. I mean, listen to what you're saying. One trillion years. And they look like that, and they're still in T-shirts again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> give it a rest. Well, the future kind aren't supposed to be humans, are they? That's the whole point. 
That's Still, why they can't go on the spaceship. They've got pointy oh. teeth. Though they're quite good, actually. But I just think the one trillion years thing is typical RTD going well, well over the top. Well, no, it doesn't he need liked to be. his big fun numbers. Yeah, I know, but it's too far. The why would the, the Doctor f- have gone that far in the future in the, in the past? You know, it's just kind of... Well, because Captain Jack jumped on the TARDIS and it was trying to escape from him. Mm, okay. I thought he said, let's go as far... Let's go really far into the, the future. Captain, yeah. No, that's the one where Captain Jack jumps it on is, the TARDIS. Yeah. 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 Does that affect to, it? Does that make yeah, it the TARDIS is yeah. trying to escape it's from Captain escape. Jack because yeah. he's an anomaly and yeah. just goes as far as it can go. And then just happens so to land with the master. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. That's yes, a coincidence. Coincidence is how you make fiction. Even, even the TARDIS or Idris would not say, you know, oh, I with Jack on there, for instance, it's going to, th- oh, you know, we're retconning, forget it. <laughs> going to stop it's just going to annoy me but the point about the future having devolved is that evolution will only take you or no not evolution i very um, sad that episode that we turn into that i mean rtd is a very he said oh it's got to be hopeful we've got to have people in space but they've got to be humans they've got to be uh doing things that are very positive and brilliant and wonderful and humans are fantastic and then he does utopia uh and you just kind of think, well, if that's the end of humanity, what's the point? It was, I thought found it quite the very sad. end of humanity. Yeah, but I don't want to see it. It's like that. <laughs> yeah, but you, but how else would you show the very end of humanity? Or don't. Make it another story. <laughs> Weak story, Utopia. It's not one of my favourites. It's, it's okay. It's all right, but... The plot, insofar as it goes, is pretty thin, but the plot just, is just there you to don't, hang the All I'm saying is you don't need to be one so. trillion years. It could have been one million years, which is fine. You know, or even the year five billion, isn't it, that we have? We've had five billion as well, yeah. which isn't called five billion. It's called Apple Slash something, rather, which is quite funny. Apple and Slash. <laughs> something, <laughs> something that Chris Ryan has to deal with <laughs> on a daily basis. It's something like that. <laughs> but, and I like that. That was quite amusing, actually, you know. But uh, again, it's it's almost too big, too far. It's got to it's got to tie in, hasn't it? Got to tie in with the story afterwards, where the um, what are they call the, the, the sound the, of drums. Yeah, the toxic whatever they call what they call toxophane. Toxophane, yeah. Where they've got to have somewhere to escape from, which is the very end of existence. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. But we didn't need to necessarily see it. That could have been left in the ballot. We could have just seen a toxophane, known it was the end of the universe, and thought, well, I wonder what that's like, instead of actually showing it as being, well, you know, just a garage down the road, basically. <laughs> well, it wasn't going to be big, bright, in and shiny. Quarry. It wasn't. It, it was big, bright, and shiny. It wouldn't have been the end, would it? In a quarry <laughs> with a big rock. It's kind of, kind of hopeful, though, in that they're getting on the ship and trying to go to somewhere better. <laughs> that's right. It gets turned into toxophane. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, that's, yeah, but they don't know the big... they're going to get turned no. into Toplophane. No, I know. But they weren't in the end, were they? I just no, enjoy it for what it is. The it's paradox just, had been unwound. It's just it an excuse happen. to yeah. have the master in there and have the big build up to the, the yeah. reveal at the end. It, it was. It really it was works that. on that level. Chan, the master was great in that, though. Yes. Oh, <laughs> oh very good. Wow. Actually, I thought Chan though was good as well. Should have been a companion. You know, we should look at future stories in the rest of the classic series, but there's really nothing to look at. Uh, what, a, about, what about the kind of near future that we've now passed? I mean, we've already said 1986 has, has gone, and we haven't had Mondas turning up 
obviously. Well, we don't know. <laughs> you know, the like, government probably keeps certain things from us. Battlefield was set just a few years in, in, in the future from 1988, 89 or whatever. And there were five pound coins then. Where are they? Mm. They're not there, are they? I thought it was quite a brave little episode, that actually. I rewatched it the other day. Battlefield. You know, yeah, I slighted it. Yeah, you did. And, and I rewatched it and I thought, actually, <laughs> there were bits in this that's quite good. It's still a bit silly. Uh, and I still f- the music is immensely annoying. So oh yes. <laughs> oh well, uh, surely they can give us a, a I don't know an, a Doctor Who episodes without the music on nowadays, and then you can put your own on or something. Yeah, That'd be oh, fantastic, I'd love to do that. I'd love but to Paradise do that. Towers does have the alternative score. Yes, Paradise Towers is another near uh, future story mm. that's set on that. I mean, the weird thing about Paradise Towers is it is so sort of metaphorical. You can't really imagine it as being real. Mm. But it is supposed to, you know, nominally be set in a tower block, isn't it? Mm. Uh, I quite like the fun little touches they tend to put into these stories to try and, like you say, it's... it's like in most of them, they're coins. familiar. Yeah, or in Pertwee, the fantastic... Um, French cars with no doors. <laughs> you like those, don't you? <laughs> do, you want one we, of those. You know, you said we've not had five pound coins, though, but haven't we actually? Limited runs of five pound coins. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but not at that time. No, no, no. But, <laughs> yeah, but that's I'm being what, picky. Yeah, but that's how these <laughs> stories work, isn't it? Yeah. You've got to try and extrapolate something that potentially might happen, and, you know, if it does or if it doesn't. You just don't go too far, like mm. trying to there know, is, take there all the doors a, off cars. <laughs> <laughs> there isn't a lot of Doctor Who that shows societies in the future, is there? Just like the normal man in the street. There a few new ones, like Gridlock, I think, did, didn't it? Uh, oh, yeah. New, yeah. new, new, New York and all that. Mm-hmm. You had a bit of something outside. You had the, I love the cars, the flying cars. That was well, like, new we're Earth, finally arrived with proper science fiction. The story on future. New Earth is same yes. planet. Same time period yeah, shows yeah. you outside. Whereas things like End of the World and all the other Doctor Who's in the past were very much, like you say, either based under siege or, or kept in a small room. In a space station or And something. I always wanted to go outside. I like gridlock for that, for <clears> being outside <throat> in the streets a bit, a bit Blade Runnery, a little bit kind of, you know, nasty. And on the, on the top, of course, we've got, you know, the posher kind of areas of New Earth. And- Trouble is, of course, two problems. One of obviously expense. Mm. and planning if you're going to do something like that you have to plan it really carefully and it's interesting when you bring that in like i said it reminded me of blade runner and in i think turn left where we have the beetle on the back of uh you know yeah and uh dorian basically dorian's world the blue man mm. that feels like firefly to me yeah the, the, the series firefly and a little bit of mos eisley you know the star wars thing yes because so as soon as you start showing societies it does feel like you know, it's been done before. You can't almost create a brand new society that's really different. Well, they're all created out of something that already exists yeah. or something from the past anyway. Yeah, but it they? suddenly doesn't feel like Doctor Who to yeah. me. It feels like Firefly is a perfect it's example for that because it's like a Western in space, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Of course, well, yeah. and what he's talking about here is like uh, Oriental bazaars, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. When you yes. show yeah. future you know, it's kind of a default position, isn't it? To show like an Oriental bazaar. <laughs> well, we is... obviously Blade Runner's <laughs> yeah. set the, set the uh, tone for that, hasn't it? Well, he, he, although Star Wars did it yeah. five years before. But what I'm saying is, you know, Oriental was, at the time of Star Wars, mm. exotic. Yeah. And this was before, you know, the saturation of media. 
So you and also they were introducing all this amazing technology at the time, so they were thought of as a, a very futuristic sort of part of the planet, weren't they? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yes, so you've got this weird juxtaposition between the sort of Sonys and the Sanyos and what have you, and then and the Panasonics. Sort of... <laughs> Sponsored by <laughs> Yeah, Blue, Blue Box Podcast Brought to you by Starburst Magazine And the Panasonic Centre Harlequins, Exeter <laughs> And Exeter Library right, And um... the Royal Mail <laughs> I'm self-employed <laughs> Planetofthedrapes.com right, um... <laughs> Self-employed, is that a euphemism? Let's not go there. Let's not go. Moving uh, on. Been there. <laughs> yes. Soul Trader. <laughs> we've not. We've just about done, really. Well, I mean, yeah. in, in, in terms of uh, looking at the different periods, you know, uh, yeah. like yeah, I, I said so. at the start of the episode, we were going to try and look through the periods and see what things matched up and what were their, mm. you know, ongoing concerns and what have you. I mean, what uh, what else have we got? What's Stephen Moffat doing with the future ones? Uh, well, you've got a list there. We're looking. At, we've done the beast below. Time of angels. That's quite an interesting thing. Um, I like the the uh, the army. I've got this religious bent to them, and there's something about that that really gets me. I like that. Mm. It's very and graphic novel. There's a graphic novel feel to that. It's idea. very Judge Dread actually. It yes, follows through a bit yeah. in a good man goes to war as well, doesn't it? I can't remember. Or, I don't know possibly. if it's actually. Speci- oh, it's not specifically in there. I don't think. But I think, I think they are in there. Are they? Yeah, and also because a good man goes to war is the army and the church together, mm. isn't mm. it? As well, yeah. you do see both things in there. So Stephen Moffat's obviously got like a world view of his mm. is what he sees the future being. Mm. It's a. I think he missed a trick of going out of the space again. I don't think he went out of the space. It was again not based under siege, but it was kind of all set in one place. When the girl, uh, the I can't remember her name. I'm afraid she dies in it, and she's she's been touched by the doctor once or something in the past he said run and she remembers Lorna Bucket yeah. yeah okay well that would have been great to see that scene as opposed to talk to talk about it it'd been fantastic just to see him bending down in the forest going run I'd love to have seen that just nip out of the but none of that happened you had all of these things I, I think s- the beginning was very good though because you had all of the characters coming together yeah so maybe I'm killing my always... own ideas but... well no St- Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who is uh, has less money than Russell T. Davis had, I think. I don't, I'm, you know, I can't be 100% on that because obviously they don't publish their figures. I, th- I think everyone in the BBC has got less money, haven't they? Yeah, the moment, so. quite. And Stephen cuts, Moffat cuts. has to not just cut corners, but has to try. Well, no, this is what, as a showrunner, you do. You try and give the impression that your show is more expensive, more uh, bold than it used to be when the guy before was running it, but you've got less money to do it. Stephen Moffat's very good at deceiving you into thinking mm. you're seeing more on screen than you really are. Mm. Armies of Cybermen wiped out in a flash yeah. by Rory at the start of A Good Man Goes to War. Yeah. But it's just one set with three Cybermen in it. And a CGI screen. Yeah, a little bit yeah. of CGI in the background. Very clever, yeah. And gives you the impression that you've seen a lot more than you really have. And Stephen Moffat's very good at doing that. And yeah, his future Earth story... He does get the money on his episodes. You know, the other episodes in those series are considerably cheaper by comparison. You look at things like the God Complex and 
you know, most of those other stories, even The Girl Who Waited, which gives the impression of being really expensive by being set in this weird sort of hospital thing. Mm. THX 1138. Yeah. Mm. Girl Who Waited. It's got the sort of the look and the feel of that. Clinical mm. thing. Mm. And it looks really expensive, but actually it's just a white set. Yeah. It's a gorgeous looking episode, isn't it? Do you right. know, I rewatched that again the other day. Mm. I love that. Mm. There's a lot of emotion in that. I really like that episode. Some people think people the ending like was a cop-out because the decision's taken away from the Doctor, or taken away from Rory, to decide whether to let her in, or because she, in the end she turns away. And some people, you know, online people argue with the toss over this. That's a cop-out. But to me, it's no. like, she makes the choice herself. Yeah. Yeah. She yeah. Says, it's not like the she choice... Says, she basically says, don't open that door or I will come in. That's the kind of thing I would say. It's like, you know, you just don't do it. Don't open the door because I'm a coward. I'll come in. I would come in. So he has to make that choice. It's, I think it's a brilliant moment, a really well-written series. I think it was nominated for Hugo Award as well, wasn't it, or something mm. like that. I think um, about four of the episodes that year were. Yeah. Um, Doctor's Wife as well, of course. But um, can I move quickly onto the Rebel Flesh? Do we really want to talk about Just that? Just quickly. Go on, then. Of what really annoys me, or maybe I've missed it, when is that set and where is it set? Is it supposed to be on Earth? Yeah, it's on Earth and it's a little bit into the future. So what are we talking about? Solar flares and things. What's that all about? Big solar flares hitting the Earth. I mean, how far in the future are we? Well, we could be just at the cusp of the arc in space, I guess. Mm. Possibly. I don't think it was that far in the future. But then again, no. if you've got well, this stuff, the flesh, it's got to be quite a way in the future, <coughs> hasn't it? <coughs> I don't know. I can't remember if they specified a date. Again, another far-flung futuristic episode on a very small location. And actually very cleverly Troughton. filmed, like you say, mm. uh, on a mm. cheap set, which is a castle. To make you know, to make the best of it. Yeah. yeah. So instead of a futuristic, expensive set, you've got a castle with a few flashing lights in it, which is very clever. Actually, make, gives you the impression you're still in the future with a very cheap set. It's not that like bad that. a story, actually. No, it's, it's not bad. It's no. like of that first half of the series. In fact, of that whole year, I think it's one of the ones that comes out of it less well, but only because there were a lot of very strong stories that year. Excellent, excellent cast in Rebel Flash. I have to say, I'm very sad as well mm. when the guy dies and the the flesh version has to go and talk to the kid. That was yeah. As a father myself, I felt oh, that's sad. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, but very. I thought it was great, great couple of episodes and quite believable. I felt that was in the future. I don't quite know why. I just believed it because it was saying a castle. <laughs> yeah, weirdly, <enough. laughs> and because they were wearing the flesh jumpsuits. They were. They were in slightly futuristic jumpsuits. Full circle. <laughs> oh. And so it's probably time to say goodnight. So uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you should look us up on Facebook. We have a Facebook page, the Blue Box Podcast. Or you should check us out on Twitter very quickly. At Simon Brett. At Mark Cochran. Uh, at Montag Fire. Which is M O N T A G Fire. <laughs> And at JR underscore Southall. <laughs> and if you want to email us, blueboxpodcast at yahoo.co.uk. I was JR. I was definitely Lee. I was Mark. And I was mostly Simon. <laughs> and next week, we'll be talking about Doctor Who again, just so that you don't have to. Good night. 